New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, it's a whole bunch of USMNT chat. We're previewing the upcoming Nations League semifinal against Mexico, discussing the Gold Cup roster, and maybe talking a little Lionel Messi, because I think we are legally obligated to, as a North American podcast, I think it has to be mentioned every single time we record. We shall see. Uh, To talk about those things, I'm joined by the world traveler himself, Mr. Joe Lowry. Joe, Arizona, Minnesota, soon Las Vegas. What is it that you have against coastlines? Yeah, I guess I just hate the water. Actually, anytime, (laughs) I'm just not a beach guy. Like, anytime there's a coast, I mean, Minnesota's got a bunch of lakes. A beach guy. I am too pale. Like, I didn't decide this for myself. It's not like I chose to not be a beach guy. We talked about sunscreen, however many weeks ago that was at the end of an episode before we faded away. Yeah. I I just can't do it. It's just not good for me. It's it's not going to work out. So I guess that's what I have to do against coastlines. So you live in Arizona. So you're okay with the sand part of the beach, just not the cool, refreshing water part of the beach? I I don't know why everybody thinks Arizona has sand. Like, that's not... We don't have sand. We just have rocks and dust. I mean, be precise here. That's better. That's that's way better. We have big sand or, like, microscopic sand, but we don't have actual sand. All right, that's a, a rip-roaring start right there. With <laughs> us as well is a man who has not been yet been kicked off a podcast due to eligibility issues. It's David Goss. Hello, David. Notice I said not yet because I am still waiting on the results of an independent investigation that originated after allegations you were actually born in Staten Island and not Long Island. How say you, David? I have barely even spent any time in Staten Island in my life. Yeah, and yet you were born there. There are many other things. boroughs that you could... Pre- Rumor that I'm from, I think Staten Island would be on the lowest point of the list. Joe, can you name the five boroughs? Um, Brooklyn. Nice. Um, is is Manhattan a borough? It is. And okay. an island. Um, Long Island? Nope. But nope. Taylor I put like up a finger. I want people to know Taylor put up a finger. I thought you were going to say the other island that I just said. <laughs> okay, Staten Island. I'll say there Staten Island then. There's yep. a freebie. Uh, I feel like I should know these last two, but honestly, I've spent so little time in New York. Give me, give me like a hint. Um, one is where NYCFC currently plays, oh, and Queens. one is where they want to play. One's gonna be play. Queens, yes. And the other, ah, uh, shoot, where is Yankee Stadium right now? I honestly they are don't know. The, they are the blank bombers. Nice. I was gonna use that too. Not gonna. No. It's where Cardi B's from. Rumble That's... in the Bronx, baby. Oh, Come the Bronx, on. of course, of course. I, yep. It would have been tremendous if Joe had been like, oh, the Bronx, when when, when Goss right. went with, it's where Cardi it's B is from. It's where Cardi B is yeah. from. Oh, <laughs> that what helps me. Happy. Thank you, Goss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's as a Bronx B-word. That's her lyric, so obviously you, I thought you'd know that. Yeah, I mean, that's all I have on my Spotify playlist is just Cardi B, so I don't know how I missed that. But um, as we established, I'm not a coastal guy, apparently. I don't. I didn't know that about myself, <laughs> yeah. but I guess we learned that today. Well... When I grew up, my dad's from the Bronx, my mom's from Queens, and my grandparents lived in Manhattan. 
So those are the three boroughs I would have been associated with more likely than Staten Island, which I don't know that I've ever really Oh, no, really I said that, I said that specifically to be fighting words. So I don't know if that was clear. <laughs> I, uh, I have a friend who dates someone from Staten Island, and he has so much anger about Staten Island that I didn't know people really cared that much. But John Wolinek, legend of Staten Island. Shout out to Wally. A- anger in what way? Anger that Just it's like, like about everything. But that it's 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 mistreated, that no, it's misaligned, no, no, no. Other or that he dislikes okay. it, dislikes ah. the people. The Pete Davidson route. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Mocking it while also still living there, I think. Exactly. I'm not quite sure how that works for him. Joe, uh, any other thoughts on like the, the New York metro area before we get rolling? I mean, I've got a lot, but I yeah. think we should probably, yeah, probably just dive into the meat, you know? Do you want to right. quiz Goss on uh, suburban Phoenix locations? Yeah, give me give me the five biggest major... <laughs> fe- no, no one wants to hear that. Absolutely no one. I was about to try and think if I knew anything about Phoenix. Charles Barkley. American Airlines. Charles Barkley, American Airlines. Uh, is U-Haul registered there, or is that in New Mexico? I can't remember which one. I couldn't tell you. Really couldn't Here tell you. Here we go. All right. Well, we... Are off to a bang and start, fellas. Uh, let's talk Nations League, shall we? Uh, we've got USA versus Mexico Thursday, June 15th at 10 p.m. Eastern. 10 p.m. kickoff is, is the new uh, the new fashionable kickoff time. Champions League went for it. USA-Mexico going for it in Las Vegas. Joe, when are you arriving? Will you be gambling? Uh, so I will get into Las Vegas after we record tomorrow. So I'm driving. So we'll do the show in the morning. At least that's my current plan. And then drive over about three and a half, four, four and a half hour drive somewhere in there. So I'll get there Wednesday afternoon. I don't think I'll be able to make it to training, which is unfortunate, but I was, I was hoping to do that. But I'll get there. I think there's a press conference for uh, interim to the interim to the interim to the interim BJ Callahan himself. And so that'll that be on Wednesday and then game Thursday against Mexico and hopefully a final against Canada on Sunday. Although we'll have to wait and see on that one. Oh, so you're leaning Canada over Panama? Like you'd rather is it is that like a rivalry thing or is that just you'd prefer to watch Canada play? I, it's the I mean Aiden I, Morris game. Come it's on. it's the Aiden Morris. Whoever wins that game truly gets Aiden Morris. That's how this works. It all comes back to Aiden Morris. Like all roads lead to Rome. All TSS discussions eventually lead to Aiden Morris. Joe, I would just how- rather watch Canada play the U.S. because I think the U.S. needs games against the highest level opposition possible, and that would be a good chance to get one in. How much do you hate my minions right now that are out there? Everything's connected to Aiden (laughs) Morris on Twitter against you. I didn't even know I had this much support in the world. I know. I know you really... I didn't know it either, Gus, but I'm feeling it now pretty much on a daily basis. So people who didn't hear that that episode, it was basically Joe saying, it's okay if Aiden Morris chooses Canada over the United States. David Goss, furious with that take. Saying it would be a disaster. Uh, The worst thing to ever happen to the U.S. men's national team. We get one Balagun and Joe's suddenly feeling himself. Uh, yep. So so it is, I'm still confused by what happened there because it seemed like he was going to choose Canada. And then, like, from the, what how I followed the story, John Herdman seemed to just say, like, nah, he wants to play for the USA, <laughs> not us. It yeah. felt like a little bit of a back and forth of who was going to get him, but maybe not actually get him more so who I was going to end up with him. I don't quite understand. I think Canada found out he had the option. Mm-hmm. They, I don't even think they filled all 50 preliminary spots. So I'm pretty sure that Herdman was like, do you want to do this? And he's like, not really. I assume his agent was like, oh, maybe it'll push the U.S. And Herdman was like, well, we're going to put you on the roster. Let's keep talking about it. And then when he got asked about it, he was like, oh, yeah, no, that guy's American. That guy does not like Canada. <laughs> so let's see. <laughs> he see what Tim Hortons and was like, no, I'm good. I will say he he took a little bit of a shot, I think, at the CSA in saying, he has no allegiance because no one ever called him to a youth team, which mm. I think was sort of a like, 
what have we been doing for the last 10 years? And we need to fix things because yeah. that would have given us a lane at least to trying to get him to be a part of this. Yeah, if you think U.S. soccer is poorly run, oh, man. Uh, Canada would like a word with you about yeah. how, how they go about operating, uh, much to the chagrin of pretty much every Canadian player. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Canada. We're here to talk about the United States and Mexico in Las Vegas. Joe, why are we playing Mexico in a semifinal? This is always such an outlier, uh, but when it happens, it's worth noting. We would usually expect it to be USA and Mexico on opposite sides of the bracket and ending up in the final, but uh, that was not how the seeding shook out. No, and that's the answer, essentially. It's because of how these two teams finished in the group stage of the Nations League. Lest we forget, both of these teams played games back in March. I think the U.S. had El Salvador and Granada in that window, and Mexico had Suriname and Jamaica. I know they played Jamaica. I don't remember what the other game was there. Goss is giving me the thumbs up. Let's go. So both of these teams had played games. They, they had games to get here to qualify for the Final Four. And based on how they finished those groups, the seeding led them to this matchup, which is not one that I think really anybody wanted. You always want to have a chance to have that U.S.-Mexico final. But I do think this presents a really good opportunity for Canada and for some of the discourse around Canada. I think they're a very good team. I'm not sure they're the best team in CONCACAF, but I think the gap between Canada and the U.S. is probably narrower right now on talent and on form than the gap between Mexico and the U.S. So, you know, anything can happen in a one-off knockout kind of game, uh, kind of tournament. But I do think USA-Canada in the final is the most likely outcome from these games on Thursday. Interesting. Interesting. All right. At the risk of derailing this almost immediately, I'm going to ask you both. Goss, I'm going to start with you. How excited are you about this Nations League uh, semifinal against Mexico, the Nations League in general, and the Gold Cup as well? Because I think I'm still of the mindset that it's 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 the interim to the interim, as Joe already joked about. Uh, the Gold Cup roster feels pretty experimental. Players didn't have to be released for that one. I, I think it still feels like we're in this sort of uh, nebulous zone of we don't quite know the direction of the program and what's going to happen. So I still am having a little bit of difficulty getting up for these games, which is insane in my mind, to say about a USA-Mexico game that's competitive and matters. So I'm wondering for you all, are you all feeling a bit more enthusiastic or are you still treading water a little? The off-field stuff that you talked about, I think it makes it really hard and it's going to make it really hard all summer because I think every time something happens, we talk about it, we sort of try and build momentum, it's going to hit us again of like, but what does it really mean? What is it for? I was of the opinion and I was pretty loud about it over the last four years pretty much that like the core of this U.S. team was young and inexperienced and expectations were, I think, outsized and that it was going to be a growing experience of like those players learning the international game, learning what it means to travel over and play two high level games and play Mexico in a crowd and, and go to El Salvador and go to a World Cup. All of that has happened now. So my excitement is like I'm taking the guardrails off. Yeah. B.J. Callahan's not the coach. Winning isn't everything you know, winning a Nations League is not the is not the point. The point is to hopefully win a World Cup and compete in 2026. Well, like to me now, with the experience the team has gotten, with the depth that they've built, with the core that exists, I have higher expectations in the team. And that to me is exciting to watch these games and say, like, prove it. Pulisic, carry a team. Musa, what's the next level for you with this group? Um, Tim Weah, what's your next level with this group? And I, I haven't felt that way over the last four years because it was all about just figuring it out and getting to that level. Um, and you add in this game specifically where I think Mexico right now is in a tough spot. And I love 
when the U.S. can make life harder for Mexico. Yeah, there, there's lots of individual reasons to be excited about these games. We talked some about it last week. For me, the biggest is Florin Balogun and what he brings to the table. I, I think a lot of folks are still sleeping on how impactful he could be. And it might take a little bit of time. Like we might not see it all the way. He, there's a chance he doesn't even start against Mexico, and that would be a little anticlimactic. But, you know, Ricardo Pepe has had a decent end to his season over in the Netherlands. So we'll see what happens there. That is still, for me, the, the largest reason to be excited about this game. And then you look back to 2021, which was the last time that the U.S. played Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League. It was the last time we had a Nations League Final Four here in North and Central America. And that game was absolutely insane. So there is precedent for these matches to be compelling and it's going to be a big crowd it's going to be a pro mexico crowd their energy is going to be very real in las vegas so there's all of that and then there's more of the big picture stuff which is kind of what you were talking a little bit about there guys like the goal is not ultimately to win the nations like you're right it's to to be competitive and to continue to try to make deeper and deeper runs at the world cup at the same time i think there is absolutely a reality even without a senior full-time men's national team coach right now every window between now and 2026 has value. Like these things are rare and it is, it is genuinely a shame that there is no decision that's been made yet on the manager. And I think that does take real value out of this window. It is wasted time in a lot of different ways. It's a real shame that that's not happened. But even with that idea, Goss, you were talking some about this core group of players. For me, there's almost two main goals outside of getting a manager on board and figuring out some of the tactical stuff. There's two main goals with the personnel side between now and the next World Cup, which is just about three years away. One goal is to have the core players now, Pulisic, Reyna, Adams, McKenney, Musa, Dest, all those players, right? Maybe there's nine of those guys, 10 of those guys that you feel pretty good about in any roster. The goal is to get those players playing at a higher level. Like after the World Cup ended this this past winter, I wrote a piece about like, hey, here's what each of these players needs to do to take their game to the next level. We should be monitoring that. We should see how these players can improve. So that's one side. The other side is who's going to join the core? Right. And I, I just wrote a piece about that for Backheel today that went up this morning. Like, who, who's going to join this core group of players? Because right now there are really only nine or 10 guys that come out in a squad. And you're like, yes, I know what we're going to get from these players mostly. There aren't enough of those players. So, in a window like this with only two games, it's going to be hard. But you know, what do we see out of a Taylor Booth? Do we see Joe Scally get spot minutes? And how does he look? Because let's be honest, he hasn't been especially exciting or good, really, in the Bundesliga. He's been a starter, but he hasn't been fantastic. You know, what do you get from these kinds of players? Does Zendayas get on the field, and what does he show? Does Luca De La Torre or Johnny Cardoso play, and, and how those players improved? Like That's the other side. It's can the best of the best get better and become like you know, maybe elite in the international world? And can the U.S.'s utility players, or at least the question marks right now, do enough in these camps and with their club teams to, to become a part of that core? And we will get bits and pieces of that information over the next week. Joe, I'd like to hear about your preparations for this game. Specifically, you're not supposed to cheer in the press box. Sometimes people don't really abide by that. Sometimes there's maybe quiet celebrations. I'm, I'm more of a quiet celebration sort of person. If Balogun scores, are you going to be able to contain yourself or are you just going to do a victory lap? Is there going to be a lot of I told you so to random people that you don't know? What's going to be your approach if Balogun gets one? Just turn around in the in the press box, yelling everyone, yelling to everyone. I told you. I so. did this. <laughs> this was me. <laughs> uh, I to be honest, Taylor, this is an area that I've been lacking in terms of my mm. preparation. This should have been like a one on my list of stuff to do. I'm thinking, you know, maybe rip off the button down shirt. I'll probably wear a button down shirt. It'll probably be short sleeve. Um, I'll, I'll rip that off and I'll have just the full on 
Balogun jersey or maybe just a Attaboy. shirt with that picture of him from Orlando that he and his agent didn't think anybody would pick up on because they don't know what USMNT Twitter is like and they do uh, now. Uh, uh-huh. I think that's going to be my go-to. The other could just be like, you know, celebratory load up on whatever food is in the press box. Like go back for round two as soon as that scores and just kind of call it a night and just leave my laptop, leave everything else there and call it like this. This thing's done. I've won. Gus, what are we thinking on on the Vegas stadium food in the press I'm box? I'm thinking, think- I already had a thought. I, uh-huh. Definitely pretzel bits, like hot pretzels, but the little bits that you can dip in cheese sauce and mustard. That's, that's Wait, why do you go straight to that? Because that's I've, like stadium food 101, and it's like okay. a newer stadium, and these places think that's like a cool thing. There's probably like a fake nacho bar version of it, and they're like, oh my God, it's not chips, though. It's pretzels. Go Raiders. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in stadiums and around uh-huh. these catering things. They are not impressive. D- has anyone impressed you? Has anyone been like, 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 like a, the food really did uh, tick all the boxes? I feel like Seattle's was pretty good. Seattle had a Starbucks in the press box. They do. Um, I think Atlanta does a good job. I think mm. Mercedes-Benz is set up pretty well, if I recall. And uh, that might be it. This is what everyone came for, yeah. is yep. USA-Mexico preview and stadium food chef. I have Let's never been break. to Allegiant Stadium, I have to admit, though. I don't Oh, yes, nor have I, I don't think so. I haven't been to Vegas in a very long time, and I don't plan to, but Joe will be there, and Joe, I'm excited to hear about your experiences. We're going to take a break. We'll be back to talk about El Tree. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Welcome back. We are previewing the USA's Nations League game against Mexico. Joe, let's talk about that Mexico team because that's something we haven't done in quite some time. Uh, new manager, at least to us. We haven't talked about him either, Diego Coca. Uh, what can we expect from him? What have we seen from Mexico so far uh, in his tenure? Yeah, so first off, the background on Coca, who has already had a game against the U.S. men's national team 
Let's not forget, it's very easy to forget that game didn't really matter a whole lot. It was in the middle of a week in April. Um, but Diego Coca, 51-year-old Argentine manager. I believe, took- I believe we covered that game, Joe, with uh, with two people who were somewhat approximating sobriety, maybe slightly less than so. I was David fine. Goss. I was and, fine. Uh, he who should not be named. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But maybe he's listening. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Joe, yes. But that game, I have very little memory of. Uh, hopefully, this one I remember a bit more. Yes, and I'll, I'll bring back some of the relevant bits from that game as well. So Coca, like I said, 51-year-old Argentine manager, took over Mexico back in February. So he's not been on the job very long, but Mexico, unlike the U.S., didn't wait. Right, Tata Martino wasn't going to continue with with Mexico after the, the failure, really, at the World Cup and after he failed to win trophies back in the summer of 2021. And it was always going to be someone new. Mexico didn't wait really for a, a big name, although Coca is someone who's had success in Mexico. So he's coached Tigres. He had five games with Tigres before coming in and taking over the Mexico job. And he, really, his, his biggest achievement as a club manager is winning with Atlas and ending their title drought. He won multiple titles with them, which was a, a fantastic achievement that we talked about a little bit on the show back when that happened. He's coached clubs in Argentina and Mexico mostly and had a, a, a brief stint in Colombia as well. He's had five games with Mexico so far. Two wins and three draws. Beat Suriname. There it is in the Nations League. And then drew with Mexico. uh, Sorry, drew with uh, Jamaica 2-2 in the Nations League. Drew with the U.S. 1-1 back in April. And then has had two games very recently in the build-up to this competition with not the full squad available to him. So he beat Guatemala 2-0 a week ago. And then drew with Cameroon 2-2 on Saturday. There's like real pressure around Coca and Mexico right now. There always is around Mexico and, and the manager. There's genuine pressure, though, now especially to win something after Mexico lost out on both of these trophies, not just to anybody, but to the U.S. back in 2021, thinking about the Nations League and the Gold Cup. They lost both of those. They're desperate after not making it out of the group at the World Cup as well. Luis Romo had a quote that was in John Arnold's Getting CONCACAF newsletter, which I plugged last week when we talked about Nations League stuff. I'll do it again here. It is really, really good. Like, just go subscribe if you can. It, it is worth doing if you want to learn more about soccer in this region and is always my first stop for Mexico coverage. So Luis Romo, who's a defensive-minded midfielder, sometimes center back for Mexico, said, we're all clear that we're in debt. That's what he. That's the word he used to describe it, is they're in debt, which I really liked that turn of phrase. He said, we've got to win both, referring to the Nations League and the Gold Cup. Mexico feel like they're in the hole right now, that they need to dig themselves out of the hole. It's not, oh, it's a new summer, it's a new cycle. Like these players feel like that they need to climb out of this pit that they're in. Uh, whether or not they're going to be able to do that, I don't know. There's a new president in in Mexico now with with the federation, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, who didn't hire Diego Coca. So there's pressure, even more pressure on Coca than normal because he's got a new boss to impress. There's so many of these outside forces putting pressure on this Mexico team. I can talk more about the tactics and maybe Goss and I will, I'll do some of that in a little bit. And Taylor, I want to hear your thoughts as well. But that's kind of the narrative side of who Coca is, where Mexico stand right now and, and how they're going to be approaching these games, which is with desperation. Gus, how much familiarity, ooh, tough one, uh, do you have with, with Coca before his tenure with Mexico? Because I think that helps inform what he's likely to do with Eltry. Yeah, coming out of COVID, his outlast teams were the team. In Mexico, mm-hmm. they are one of the rare teams to have win won an Apertura and a Clausura. Uh, they have, they had as a club no history of success over the last fifty years. So the first title they won under him was a massive deal. And then obviously the rivalry with Chivas and the struggles that Chivas has had over the last decade or so, it was a big deal. And um, they were fun to watch. The atmosphere 
in the building um, was incredible for the two finals that they won. And uh, I got to cover them a little bit when they came up to the U.S. as champions. Then they played the Campeones Cup um, here in New York City. And I actually got to do an event with Diego Coca. And he was a delightful human being. They read stories with children in the Bronx. Shout out to the Bronx once again for Joe Larry. One of the five boroughs. Yeah, it is one of the five boroughs. And he was like totally into it. And he's a charming person. And obviously he's a young coach. So I think there's like an energy to what he does. Um, and then there was big expectations going to Tigres. And it made sense taking over with Mexico. I think we've we've come in and out of like what works for a Mexican national team coach. I do believe having a foreign born coach actually disconnects in a way that's necessary. Um, Juan Carlos Osorio, who I think is an interesting human being and probably a bit of a salesman, had success to an extent because there's a way to remove yourself, I think, from some of the drama and pressure when it is not your country and you have not grown up in it and grown up in the system. And maybe you're not as connected to all of the legends who always have something to say and want to be involved. It is chaos through and through, uh, especially with these new elections. But I think Coca to everyone made sense. He's pragmatic. He's intelligent. He's young. I think he's charismatic enough to get a group to play under him. And the reality was you needed to flip the generations. And so you weren't going to be leaning back on the stars. And it wasn't about having a guy like Tata who has gravitas that an Ache Ache will respect um, or a Hector Moreno will respect. It was about... I think finding a coach who can instill confidence in the next generation, which is exactly what he did at Atlas. Uh, it took me a minute to remember who the last Mexican manager of the Mexico national team was. Do you all remember who it was? Full time or part time? Uh, Full time. Is it Hugo it Sanchez? Would be, uh, Miguel Herrera. Uh, oh, El of course, Piojo? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he who loses his mind. Right. And I do wonder if maybe that was when they decided, you know what, we're going to go away from that for a while. Uh, Osorio, Colombian, and then Tata and Coca, both uh, Argentine. David, you talked about that Atlas team being fun to watch, and then you quickly followed it up with the atmosphere was amazing. It was electric. The team itself, were they fun to watch? Because the word you also said about Coca, which I have seen and heard many, many times, is pragmatic. Yeah, so he normally with that team would set up five in the back. Um, The wingbacks get involved in the attack, but they don't fly forward. Um So I think the two things that I said in terms of the atmosphere was like you had a fan base in a massive city that's been dying for a title. And I think coming out of COVID as well, dying to go to a stadium and be a part of it. And so the experience around the finals and semifinals that they played in was huge. Like it felt big and you could feel the stadium shaking through the TV. I also think when you talk about some pragmatic coaches, um, I enjoy watching a few technicians go to work and sort of when the game is simplified, even as a fan. And so when you watch those Atlas teams, it was, we're going to be steady on the right side because Julian Canones is going to have freedom to take guys on on the left side. And that's sort of how he would set up his team was he had two or three guys who had the freedom to create and take risks and take chances. And the rest of the team was built more as a structure to keep them solid, to keep them defensively sound, and then to give the platform for those players. And Canones, over the two years under him, was one of the most entertaining attackers in Mexico. Julio Furch, obviously, great goal scorer. He created spaces for him to do what he does best, and he's one of the best ball strikers, I think, in all of Mexico. So, like, those parts of the game were entertaining. It is not free-flowing. It is not um, positional play. It's not 
17 guys in the box and the ball moving constantly, but it won and it won in a way I think, which connected with their fan base and as a viewer neutrally you connected with and enjoyed being a part of. Yeah, I've enjoyed, so I, I've done less looking back at Atlas and more looking back at the five games that Coca's played so far or, or managed so far, excuse me, with Mexico. They're not like electric to watch, but I I wouldn't have first thought of the word pragmatic to describe what I've seen so far from this team. Maybe there were more glimpses of that in the game against the U.S., which is probably the best team they played, although that, that Cameroon side, I'll take it back, that Cameroon team that they played on Saturday had, you know, Carl Toko Akambi and Mbwemo, like they had some of the, the big guns for that match in a draw. So maybe maybe the U.S. is the second best team they've played, but you know, they will play with a back five. It's been a lot of 3-4-3 three, three so far. I, I think they maybe dipped into a back four at times back in March, but it's been a lot of 3-4-3 three, three in recent matches at least. They like to keep the ball, but they're not married to it. Right. They're not. And maybe that's where some of the pragmatic elements come into play. But, you know, they will spread the field in possession. They will spread the center backs wide and push the wing backs forward, have the, the wingers then tuck into the half spaces. And, and depending on the profile of that player, they'll play the role a little differently. Like Charlie Rodriguez played that role and, and he dropped into midfield a little bit more rather than someone like Oriel Antuna, who's going to maybe try to, to break in behind a little bit more or stay a little wider, stuff like that. So a lot of this is personnel dependent, and Mexico won't have a lot of their top guys, or at least some of them, for this window. I'm thinking specifically of Chucky Lozano, who's out with an injury, I believe, is not involved. He's not in the final roster here for Mexico. So they're missing their probably most dangerous attacking threat, although we'll talk more about another attacking threat later on in this episode. But they like to play out of that 3-4-3 shape. I'm guessing that's what we'll see again against the U.S., just like it was back in April. They spread the field fairly wide. The thing is, in possession at least, they don't have a lot of clear patterns in the final third. And this was something that I think the three of us, as we watched Mexico play the U.S. back in April, felt as we watched that game is neither team really created much. Right. It was Mexico spreading the field or maybe attacking in transition after defending in kind of a 5-2-3 block or a 3-4-3 press. And then they break into the final third and they get near the box and it feels like things just kind of fall apart. And some of that is in that game. And again, in this tournament, they won't have their most dynamic attacker available to them. Although, again, there are good attackers in this team. And part of that is I just don't think Coca's had enough time or maybe he doesn't have the skill to implement these genuine patterns in the final third. So it feels like a lot of it is players really trying to figure things out on their own. And a lot of times it ends up with long shots from distance. So I've got my eye on that to see if Mexico can create some better opportunities with with some of the players that are involved here. And then defensively, just really quickly on the tactical side, they like to press, like they do like to be aggressive. They will sit deeper, but I saw a lot of stepping high in a 3-4-3, the center back stepping out, especially and being really aggressive to mark opposing players just briefly, which then does create gaps in their back line. But it's, it's a risk reward thing, right? You step forward and try to win the ball and start a transition attack. That's the reward. If you do it right, the risk is that, you know, somebody sends a runner in behind you and Cameroon did a really good job of this. If folks want to go back and at least watch the highlights from that game, like there's multiple sequences where Cameroon pull a center back out in Mexico's back three and send a runner in behind and play a, a well-weighted pass and they find somebody and they're in the box. So that is a weakness, but it also can be a strength for Mexico because they do have athletic players. They have players that can cover ground and they have players that like to attack very quickly. So that's kind of the, the tactical primer. Maybe it is, a, a maybe there's a twist of pragmatism, but I think there are some pretty clear ideas of how they want to play and there is a willingness to impose some of those ideas on the opposition. With some of the pressure we've already talked about for Coca and this Mexico team, Joe, do you think they're more likely to come out and be a bit more defensive and stay a little bit deeper, or would you expect them to come out and press from the Joe? Can I just throw one thing out there before you dive in, Joe? Yeah. I actually think with the new election in 
the FMF and the new positions, I actually don't think that pressure's on Coca. Hmm. I don't think anyone has the power right now. Like, I think Coca has more support in Mexico than the FMF does. So I don't think the pressure is on him in terms of, like, if you lose this summer, you're out. The pressure is on the national team because they didn't do well in the World Cup and the young players want to prove themselves and the next generation does. I just want to throw that out there because I think... Interesting. I think normally it is pretty obvious U.S. versus Mexico sits one way and my feeling right now based off how I'm sort of seeing people interpret it is that this is actually a good thing for Coca because he got put in place and everyone else is a mess and the only thing people trust is like Coca and the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't mean more like he's on the hot seat, but I think anytime Mexico is playing the United States, especially with the recent history of those games and the way they've gone, and to Joe's point, the results in the last Nations League and the last Gold Cup, I can see a new coach wanting to be like, okay, this is my opportunity to show I'm making a difference. I am turning things around. We're going to get this win. Maybe that is me being naive. Maybe Coca Coca is definitely a much more experienced manager uh, who has maybe like he doesn't have as much to prove as I might think. But I think that's where I'm coming from with the assumption that there is pressure on him. So, yeah. Gus, are you basically saying then that you don't think it will affect his game planning at all? You think they're just going to play the way they'd play anyway? Yeah, I, I think there's a level of methodology for him, which is like my job is for the next two or three years. And this is how I'm going to roll it out unless I need to win this summer point one to like keep the job all right well joe do you have any expectations on how uh, regardless of there being pressure or no pressure sure. that mexico will approach the opening stages of this game i, I think they will step forward and, and be aggressive in moments and i don't think it's going to be a big deviation from what we've seen for most of coca's time so far which is that they will be aggressive but they're also willing to sit a little bit deeper and try to attack on the break. And then they will spread the field with the ball, but they also like to go direct. Like they're, again, they're not totally married to having the ball. They're not totally married to stepping high up the field all the time, but they like to do those things. The U.S., though, also like to do those things. So it's going to be two teams that would, generally speaking, prefer to be the protagonist, which means that you're going to get spells probably of one team you know, having the ball and, and for longer periods of time, one team having sustained sequences and then the other team sitting off a little bit deeper. If I had to guess by the time the game's over, I would wager, although Game State can, can throw a real wrench in some of these things, I would wager that the U.S. would have the majority of the ball. Mexico would spend a decent amount of time pressing and a decent amount of time trying to deny Giorena if he starts or Christian Pulisic or Musa, McKen whoever, you know, the ball in open space, which means they will defend a bit deeper. I think we're going to see a smattering of kind of all of those things from Mexico. They probably will, though, with the crowd being as, as Mexico heavy as I expect it to be. They will probably have a decent amount of energy right from the start, just feeding off of that crowd. Maybe that dies down a little bit as the first half goes on and into the second half. All right, let's talk a little more about some of the individual players for Mexico. Then we'll talk USA and the Nations League and the Gold Cup. Uh, but first, one more break. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. 
Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. We are talking Mexico still. Uh, let's talk some individuals for a moment. Because, Joe, you mentioned no Chucky Lozano, no Diego Lenez, no Nestor Araujo, no uh, Tecatito, and Raul Jimenez all uh, either not included uh, originally, as was the case with Lozano, or uh, left off after being included in the preliminary roster. Some of that is to get more fitness. Some of that is because they don't fit. Uh, and so for a moment, I was like looking at the forwards like Santiago Jimenez of Feyenoord, uh, Henri, Mart Henri Martin of America. I was sort of like, okay, so this is like an experimental team. Maybe there's less to be afraid of. I'm now pretty afraid of Santiago Jimenez. Yes. Uh, Joe, Correct. you're shaking your head, which tells me that you equally uh, have some fears. Yes, people should be afraid of Santiago Jimenez, as folks found in the Netherlands and in the Europa League this season over in Europe. For folks who don't know much about Santiago Jimenez, 22-year-old striker, was playing in Mexico and moved to Feyenoord very recently. He had 15 goals in the Eredivisie for Feyenoord in less than 2,000 minutes. 15 goals in less than 2,000 minutes is a, a pretty darn good ratio. Had another five in the Europa League and helped Feyenoord win the league title. So he was an, an instrumental player for Feyenoord 
over this last season. Has good underlying numbers as well. Like the, the expected goals pretty much align with some of the output on the field, which is good. Uh, right-footed, but can finish with his left and with his head as well. He is an asset in the air, finding good spots in the box and, and can be an outlet in that way. He's happy to slash in behind the back line. Like he will make some of those runs. He can get involved in build up, but I don't I don't think that's his first choice. Like he's not a Jesus Ferreira type player or a, or a Firmino uh, player in that way, but he really likes to find space in the box. He hunts it down, hunts the ball down in those areas and, and just knows where to be. Like this guy has a genuine knack for, for poaching balls inside the 18 and finishing sequences off. And at 22, I think you can really expect a lot of improvement. Yeah, there's there's a boost for being in the Netherlands, and I think it's generally accepted that the defending in that league is not as good, just like the, the general quality of play is not as good as, you know, a number of different leagues that are are you know more widely discussed, the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Liga, Serie A, there's probably a couple of others as well. But this guy is the real deal. He's really talented, and he will almost certainly be Mexico's starting nine. I'd be shocked if he wasn't for wherever they end up going in this competition. Gus, anybody you expect to be in that starting 11 or you're uh, interested in seeing start? There's this guy uh, who plays for Barcelona. He's like a young right back slash right wing back who I've heard some things about. I think plays is a a loose (laughs) term there for Julian. Um, Gus, throw up air quotes around plays. I love Julian Araujo. He's an incredible human being. I'm stoked for him. Um, I, I think this formation fits him really well. He still struggles defensively, especially in big moments around his box. But his elite characteristic is going forward and creating chances, especially if he's going to get to the end line and pull balls back. And you talk about Santiago Jimenez, who doesn't create his own shot, but is an elite finisher. And that's what he does best. And they have Henry Martin in this team as well, who is at the peak of his powers with club America scoring a ton of goals over the last year. And then you talk about some of the guys who could be runners out of midfield. Um, So I think this could be a great opportunity for Julian Araujo to like establish himself Fullback is a weak position, even with um, Jorge Sanchez playing at Ajax, who I think has been pretty good, and Jesus Gallardo, who depends on who you talk to on what day, is either loved or despised throughout Mexico camp. I think for Mexico, the excitement for them is probably at the center back position and just finally moving on from the Arajos and Morenos and the older generation, and you have guys in Johan Vasquez and Cesar Montes mainly who are starting week in and week out in Europe. And I think Montez is the best center back prospect that I've seen in Mexico in 10 years. So I think that's where the strength would be. And you throw in the fact that Coco will play three of them. I think that's sort of the strength of this team probably going forward. It's an Alvarez is obviously a huge piece in central midfield, but there's question marks about who partners him and where other guys end up. Um, so I think there's going to be, it's going to be interesting to me when the starting lineup comes out. The one guy who I do have a feeling He's sort of shown it a little bit, but I think it'll come more and more who I think is a U.S. killer, Sebastian Cordova. He's just a goal scorer in weird times and weird moments. He's a big game player. He's shown it for Tigres um, now getting back into the team. And he's one of those guys where it's like whether he comes off the bench or starts, I think he pops up in dangerous areas consistently. And maybe he doesn't always make the best use of it, but he's a guy that hurts teams in, in areas where you just don't want him to be. Where would you expect him to pop up in that five four one three four three? What's his role going to be? I think that's where. So you get into the question mark, which is, and and Joe sort of talked about this. You have a lot of different attributes of players who could be in those wide attacking areas, and Cordova's more of like a central guy, like 
uh, Joe mentioned with Charlie Rodriguez, but more attacking, where he would come inside all the time. Or are they going to try and find actual wingers like an Uriel Antuna to stay wide in those spaces? And that's what's, I think, going to be sort of the telltale when we get the lineup out is, is it more connecting players who are going to sit in centrally and pack the middle and try and be in possession more? Or is it more guys who, yeah, you're going to be against the ball, but you think can you know beat guys 1v1 and create chances in open space? And so I think that's there's a few of the names, obviously Alexis Vega in there as well, of like, okay, what type of team are we going to see is based off which what the personnel is. Learning more about this Mexico team, have either of you changed what you want the United States to do, what you would like to see from them? Uh, Goss has a hand up. <laughs> Joe, I think I got a slight nod. Goss, oh, no, no, it's a head shake. It's a head shake. We can confirm now. No, you shake. shouldn't because I'm on your side now. You guys talked about, I think it was last week, you guys talked about Musa and McKenney as the two quote-unquote yep. deeper guys, double pivot, whatever you want to call it. And I felt like, Mexico would have more of the ball and I wanted more defensive presence. And so that's where I leaned on Johnny. And I actually now flip that um, because I think you guys are right that the U.S. will have more of the ball. And if you have those three centrally, I think you can find pockets where if it's quote unquote Gio Reyna or Brendan Aronson or whoever it is as the 10, if you can pull Alvarez around, the other two players can find pockets. So I think either attack the back line or slide the wide players in, which I think is going to be that dangerous motion is Pulisic and Wea coming inside behind one of the center backs, between the center backs, and those guys finding space. And then if you're thinking long term, I think Canada is where I would play a guy like Johnny because I think the danger would be different in that match if that is the final. Sorry, Panama, but I just have no confidence in your ability to win that game. So you guys convinced me. I'm on board. I'm in favor of the high attacking, high possession central midfield. Yeah, I just think in this game, I'm glad we won you over, Goss, and I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but I do think in this game where the U.S. just straight up, even without some of their better players involved, and, and you can say the same for Mexico, like they just have a talent advantage. Like The U.S. has better players. I don't, I don't really think that's super arguable. Right now, Mexico has an advantage from a continuity standpoint, and that they have a coach and they have a, a clearer path to what they're building towards because there is someone in place. But just if you look through the the starting lineups that we went through for the U.S. last year, even with Goss's lineup, I, I think player for player, you probably feel a little bit better about the U.S., who also have some continuity in terms of players and a lot of the, the best players in the World Cup being back in this camp and, and probable starters for this game. I think if you're the U.S., you try to get your best players on the field, and that involves putting Musa and McKinney there so you can squeeze an extra attacker on where you have some depth and you have some quality versus putting still a relative unknown on the international level in Johnny Cardoso. And not just an unknown, but someone who hasn't been very good for the U.S. before. I, I think it, it just makes more sense to try to stack the lineup as much as you can in a game like this. So, Joe, if Matt Turner pings one like 70 yards wide, Gio Reyna first times the cross into the box and Balogun scores it, is that it for you? Are you just retiring? Is there, is there any way where life can get better for you? I, I think that's when I do. It was, it was the 2021 Nations League when someone like jumped onto CBS's set. Is that right? Yeah, Does anybody yeah. remember that? Yeah. That's going to be me, I think. Is I'm just going to sort of go on a, a tirade, a, a happy tirade, but around Allegiant Stadium and try to jump in front of as many TV cameras as possible. I think it'll be a lot of us to see Gio one time anything. As that, a is a good, that, that is a good point. 
That's uh, good, Gus. That's thanks. good. I like I, I, yeah. You're welcome. But if he did, he would then turn around and scream, are you not entertained? Yeah, right. Gladiator. I love, I do I feel like that is his kind of MO. I think there's like a very clear ranking of, uh, like like we talked about with, I think it was Brendan Aronson and there were two other players that I, I wasn't like, you know, super hyped about when we talked about this roster. I like of the three of us, I think there's also a very clear ranking of loving to hating Gio Reyna with me on the top, on the loving end, Goss in the middle, like trending towards the left and then Taylor completely on the other side, just seething inside every time he sees Gio Reyna do anything. Nah, he's fine. He's a kid. He's a kid. His parents, I have different feelings yeah. on. <laughs> sure. I mean- as they've said, they resolved it. They worked it out as a team. I would not have enjoyed having him as a teammate. I still think that video of him refusing to celebrate uh, whatever game that was sort of tells me a lot about him. But I think now it's theoretically resolved, and we'll see how things move on from there. We'll see how like big of a part he plays, and if it looks like he's part of that team, then I think that will be very positive. Uh, he will not be part of the Gold Cup team, uh, I, I do not believe. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment, uh, because... Gus, Gus, we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, am I correct in saying that it's basically Nations League clubs have to release the players, uh, and they have that game 10 p.m. again on on what Thursday, Thursday night? So Joe and I are going to be chatting afterwards. We're going to be recording a, a good long review show. I do believe is the plan. Joe, well, one we actually talked about one a.m. Eastern that time record. I mean, I, I think what, I think when we talked about it, I give you the option of doing it that night or doing it Friday morning, and I, I don't think we ever landed on it. But if you want to do the uh, the late night show, I'm, I'm I'm up for it. I don't know, man. I don't know because those can go either way. Because if it's a bad game, I do, it's it's sometimes helpful to take the break and rewatch a little bit and get a better like your head around it. If it's a good game, obviously it's fun to record. Should we just commit now? Do you want to do it? One a.m. record. Um, sure. I'm up for it, Taylor, whatever. I mean, you're on the East Coast time. This is your call, not mine. Goss, you want to weigh in? <laughs> I don't have to do it. So it doesn't matter to me. I will tell you this. I think I'm going to be driving on Friday. I would love to have it to listen to there we when go. I get up to drive. All right. I think we're doing it, Joe. I think we're doing it. I lean that way. Uh, and Goss has decided that he will be joining us at 1 a.m. Yeah. Uh, I signed him up there. Uh, the Gold Cup, though, uh, Clubs not obligated to release players, so we're getting a slightly watered down team. I would say. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no about that. No, there's no doubt. Easy for me to say about mm -hmm. that at all, right? And this is what we saw back in 2021. I think this was always expected, where the U.S. would have their best players. A lot of the European guys, the Polisics, the the McKennies, the Musas, they would come in for the Nations League, which is a much shorter span of time to be away from their clubs. They've also come off of a long European season that included the World Cup. Like they've played a lot of games. Well, not everybody because they either are in bad club <laughs> spots or, or have been hurt, but they've had long seasons. We'll play it that way. Yeah. It makes sense for them to come in for a couple of games, go back, have something of a break. And then for a lot of the first choice European guys as well, and even some of the fringe guys that maybe we'll talk about as absences here and as snubs, like there's transfer conversations. Like there's preseasons that kind of need to be attended if you want to really be a part of the new team from the jump. So all that to say, there's a, a lot of very valid reasons why this is a more of a B-tier roster. Factoring in injuries as well, and we talked about this last week with the Nations League squad, but with Tim Ream and Cameron Carter-Vickers and reportedly Mark McKenzie who's dealing with a shoulder injury, Tyler Adams that might be out for several months still, both Tillmans, I believe, are injured. Josh Sargent is out with an injury. Like, with all of those players out as well, you're like, what, seven players deeper down the depth chart for the Gold Cup than you probably would be? I don't think all of those players I just mentioned would be in the Nations League roster, but conceivably, 
all of them would have been good enough, if healthy, to make it to either the Nations League roster or the Gold Cup roster. So I got off the plane yesterday, and everybody's in a tizzy about this Gold Cup squad because they're they're super angry about who's in the team. And I do think there are some really questionable choices, and we can talk about those. Oh, but I like, I, I don't understand. What do you want, right? What do, I don't know what people want other than with a few individual spots. I've got three players that I'm like not super stoked about. But you're Matt Turner, number one uh, of of the opposite of the greatest player of all time list, Taylor. Like there, there's a, there are reasons to quibble with this Why squad, do you but think like he is in this team. They've got to dig deep because uh, he doesn't have any real club questions. I think like maybe maybe this is to parlay into a move. Like he's not going to get time at Arsenal still yeah. outside of cup competitions, and so maybe he's had his Premier League experience and, and gone through some cup competitions, and that was fun. And now it's time to get him back in the spotlight for a move or. Maybe he just wants to come in and is happy being the two at Arsenal and, and going and playing in those cups. I don't know, but that is kind of the one European guy. You're right, Gus. Because in theory, if you remember, they had World Cup qualifying in the winter, you know, 2022 into 2023. That's when he got frostbite or didn't whatever happened, right? He went straight into an MLS season, flipped that into a European season, played in the World Cup, went back for his European season, is now in Nations League. He like has not been off in two years. I thought it was odd to see his name on there, but I think you're a goalkeeper. One, it's a little different. And two, I think Joe mentioned some of the reasons that would make sense of like just getting sharpness in games. Joe, did you see the clip of uh, Aaron Ramsdale is the Arsenal goalkeeper, correct? Uh, uh, Did you see the clip of him talking about Matt Turner? No, I did. I think I scrolled past it somewhere. He was he was asked who's the funniest player in the Arsenal team, and he and he thought about it for a second and said Matt Turner unintentionally. Let's let's go. And and the interviewer said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Just a lot of Americanisms." The interviewer said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, like there was a game we're playing Man City." It's a really physical game. Kevin De Bruyne goes to the complain to the referee. He turns around and Matt Turner says to him, dog, it's a dog fight out there. And Kevin De Bruyne just stared at him like, I don't know what any of that means. And, <laughs> and I like that Matt Turner uh, did, brings that dog. Wait, did, did Aaron Ramsdale do the American accent as he like retold it? Or did he just sort of do it in, in a British accent? Oh he, oh, he did it. He made him very Southern. I don't know where Matt Turner is from, but he, he, <laughs> Matt he, he did a like, Connecticut dog, or New Jersey? a dog fight out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, yeah, I don't know. So I think I think maybe maybe it's just that Ryan Bailey does that too. Whenever he's doing an American accent, it just turns into Southern. Very, Y'all are from the South is is a weird way of doing that's it. So but funny. that's there you go. So Matt Turner, uh, hilarious and in goal. Sean Johnson and Gaga Slonina would be your two other goalkeepers. Uh, then we go to the defenders. Joe, do you have the roster in front of you? I do. So I'll, I'll read right. through it. Center backs, right backs, and then left backs. So eight total defenders. There's four center backs involved. Matt Miazga, Aaron Long, Miles Robinson, and Jalen Neal, the young LA Galaxy center back. Two right backs, maybe three, depending on how you want to pull from a position group later on. Brian Reynolds and DeAndre Yedlin. And I'll just toss Julian Gressel here as maybe the ninth defender. He's listed as a forward. DeAndre Yedlin must be called uh, Lionel Messi's best friend. But Lionel on. Messi's yes. best friend, DeAndre Yedlin. Yes, and then Julian Gressel's kind of floating because he could be a midfielder. He could be a winger, I guess, and he could be a fullback. We don't really know. And then it's John Tolkien and Dewan Jones most likely as left backs, although Jones could also play on the right. I think, Gus, I want to hear your thoughts on this. It, it's fine. Like, it, it's mostly fine. Aaron Long is the only one that I'm not super stoked about. <laughs> That's what you want. But we mentioned Tim Ream, Mark McKenzie, and uh, shoot, who's the other one? I, I don't remember. There's there's multiple center backs. CCV. CCV. Thank you, Taylor. That are out injured. You're already like eight center backs deep on the depth chart. I, I don't think Aaron Long has really anything to offer this program going forward. But like he's a body and you kind of need four bodies for a long tournament. I don't know. What do you think, guys? Uh, Aaron Long's less was less popped out to me than Jalen Neal of like they did it in January camp. It's in L.A. He already lives there. It's January camp. It doesn't matter. 
I don't think we've seen anything since then that proves he's a national team level player right now. Yeah. Um, so, but as you said, you need players on the roster and like, clearly you're not going to bring Walker Zimmerman twice. Ooh. It seems right. to be. The Although Miles Robinson's point. in twice. So I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. It, did did Jalen Neal has two caps, right? I believe so. I don't remember for sure, but yeah, that's because they played two games in the January. Window, in the January, Serbia and Colombia. Okay, here's the conspiracy one. If he gets a move, then maybe this is because you have to have that certain number of caps. Like so you have to have played a certain number of games to, to be able to get. Yeah. So may, maybe that's what we're getting here is Jalen Neal about to get a move in the summer, and so they're they're setting that one up. You never know. Joe, was he one of your sort of head scratchers? You mentioned I think three that you were. No, Goss is right that he doesn't like make a ton of sense on merit, but he's young and and getting somebody in the shop window or just around the team I think is a worthwhile exercise in a tournament like this when you're so so deep in the player pool. But he is not one of the ones that I had questions about. The other two just came in midfield, and and again I don't have like a ton of obvious no-brainer replacements uh, for them. Um, please, please make one of them Aiden Morris. <laughs> it is not Aiden Morris. I think Aiden Morris <laughs> deserves to be on this team, and I'm happy that he's here. Uh, I've got six midfielders down from the roster, two defensive midfielders in Aiden Morris and James Sands, and then kind of just one number eight in Gianluca Busio. Ding, ding, ding. That's one of the players who Me shouldn't too. be here. Yeah. And then like kind of three hybrid 8-10 players in Georgi Mihaljevic, Christian Roldan, and Alan Senora. I, I don't love Roldan being in here, but I don't know. I, I just don't think, like Long, I don't think he has a ton to offer this group moving forward. But again, the challenge is there's just so many players that are out and you're so deep. I do think someone like Keaton Parks or Jack McGlynn, or I know folks have clamored about Tanner Tessman, but I believe according to reports, he's getting married in this window. So that's why he's not involved or, or maybe, Care maybe about the there game. are other reasons Come too. On. not committed. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. So like there aren't a ton of I, McGlynn and, and parks are really the two that stand out to me in the number eight or, or 10 spot. But like, it's just fine. It's fine. I don't know. It's yeah, Busio is one of those, which it was the first name that stood out to me as well. He has not earned the spot. No, not um, at all. Why do you all say that? Like, not that I disagree, just that I don't feel like I've seen him enough when he was playing in Serie B uh, with the Venice fashion brand, as we have come to call them. Uh, so, But, like, is there anything about his game that you especially don't like or don't feel like has developed it well enough? Well, I don't think he really played at Venezia. Like, he wasn't a starter, and I think that's where it's... How are you going to earn... Would, would that be why I didn't see him? Yeah. How are you going <laughs> to earn time if you're not a starter in a second division? And I don't believe he's ever been on the field where you're like, well, we know he's a national team player and he elevates the program. Yeah. I can understand in moments, especially when you have one like this, where if you don't have other clear options, there are times where I am okay with a national team sort of making a decision of like, can we help him in his career, right? If he comes in and plays for us and plays well, does that get him a move or does that get him more playing time? And I don't always hate that if you think a guy is special or has to be a part of the national team, I think there's a probably an element of that with Cade Cowell being in this team as well. I don't know how you come out of the U20 World Cup in MLS this season and say Cade Cowell's a national team player, but... He's a Crystal Palace player. We've talked about this. There you go. Are you going to yeah, get him I mean, a move? Also, you're going to cap tie him as well. So I can see an element of that for a national team if you're so deep in the pool. I would like to see Keaton Parks as well or Richie Ledesma. I actually yeah, hadn't sure. even thought of him. I don't know what a move like that looks like where he's just trying to get healthy and play. And I don't know if you take that risk, um, but Busio just, there's nothing over the last two years to say no. he's a national team player. Um, and so it kind of feels like 
an anointed spot that he's just getting back. But Joe sort of went through the list of how many guys are missing. And at some point you had to play someone. Yeah, that might be the shop window one. I think we've already talked about that. Maybe you're just trying to get him uh, front and center to get him that move because it was, I think he has 25 appearances for Venice this season, but only a few of those 13 13 starts. starts, Yeah, he played like 1,300 minutes. And and just in general, like there have been times in Busio's career where he's looked really, really good, but the consistency has never been there. Like there there have been times where I, I was excited about him and was high on him, at least his potential, a couple of years removed from that, a couple of years removed from SKC, a couple of years removed from him being in the last Gold Cup squad, like we just haven't seen it. Like I, I just don't think he's a an elite professional player or even a very good professional soccer player at this point in his career. So yeah, on merit, I don't really think you can make an argument for him being involved. And then rounding it out in our forward group, we've got Cade Cowell, Jesus Ferreira, uh, Julian Gressel, Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris, the most capped player on this team, I believe. Uh, Brandon Vasquez and Alex Zendejas. Uh, This does, at the end of the day, feel like it's going to be... um, I don't even know if experimental is the right word for what this team is, but just a a very young, inexperienced team. I think that's why Roldan is in there, because he brings at least some veteran presence to this team. I think he's the second most capped player. Uh, Oh, no, excuse me. DeAndre Yedlin has the most. Then it's Jordan Morris. Then it's uh, Christian Roldan. So I think there is some veteran leadership in there. I would expect probably all three of them to get uh, considerable minutes for this team. Is there one player or a couple players in this team that either of you like gets excited about when it comes to the Gold Cup? Because this does seem like one with the squad being as it is. We still expect them to compete to some extent. I don't yeah. know if I expect this team to win outright, uh, but there's still plenty of talent there. And if not depth, then I think a lot of uh, interesting subplots for this one. Yeah, there's a few on my list. I'd start with John Tolkien. I love John Tolkien's game. Um, Dwan Jones as well, whichever whoever plays at left back. But I think Tolkien for me is the one where I think there's a level for him to go up. He's an incredible possession player as a left back. And so whoever the next coach is, whatever the system looks like, you know he can play in a pressing system, and I think he could be really good in a high-possession system as well. So I'm excited for him to get his opportunity. Brandon Vasquez is a big one as well. It's been a slow start to the season at Cincinnati, and I think some of that is like what's next for him, and you start to lose a little bit of focus. Um, But you just talk about combination of size and skill. He's a special player, and if he can hit at the international level, I think that'd be really exciting. Um, and then Georgi Mihailovic is the third one where he was trending in a direction where he was probably going to make the World Cup team. And he has this ability when he either can slip behind um, a midfield and pick up the ball at pace or just find space to run at guys where he can create chances in open field, both for himself and for his teammates. And when he does that at a high level, I think that's a unique trait for the U.S. men's national team. And now he's going over to Europe and to me, we saw he got to Montreal, played well, went and trained in Europe with Bologna because Montreal owns them. He came back and he was a different player. I think a lot of that was psychological of like, oh, I'm this good. I can do the things I think I can do all the time. So I'm curious to see him now after a larger spell in Europe and actually playing consistently of like, how has his game elevated? How has he sort of elevated himself? Um, so those are the big ones. I guess I probably should say Aiden Morris as well. Oh my God. I was going to flame you if you didn't. So that's, <laughs> that's a good ad for me at the end. Georgie's on my list as well, but I, for kind of a different reason, it's not to see how much he's improved. It's to see like what he still has because 
he didn't really play in the Netherlands. Like, gosh, you're talking about him playing consistently. Like, the move just didn't work out how I hoped it would, moving to Alkmaar. Like, he played 500 minutes for them in the Eredivisie during the second half of the year. It, it was not a successful start to life in Europe. And the fact that he's here in the Gold Cup, maybe that gives him momentum heading back into his team. He will, I would imagine, miss some of preseason. So that's a little bit of a concern for me there. There's lots of those scheduling things, even for some of the MLS guys in here that are going to be talked about and, and have to work around. But setting those things aside, I think Mihailovic is probably the most talented midfielder in this group of players. And I, I am a big fan of his game. I thought at one point he might make the World Cup squad and that didn't end up happening. So I hope to see something positive from him here. And then Zendejas is the other one for me. I, I cooled on him a little bit after rewatching some of the, the involvements that he's had with the team so far this year. But I mean, he's clearly talented, right? Like his, his ability on the ball to drop into deeper spaces, to create something for the U.S., a, a team that doesn't have a lot of creators. Like you look at the midfield and you're kind of hoping for something from Georgie. That's probably it. And then you look at the forward group and Cowell and Morris aren't going to bring you that. Vasquez isn't going to bring you much. Ferreira is is body, but can do the jobs. And Deas is really probably the, the first choice guy I would have to start every game in the attack because he does bring you that something different. I want to see what he brings because I do like his game. I just don't think he's been as as strong with the U.S. as I hoped he would be looking back at some footage, but he's definitely on my list as well, Taylor. I got to push back a little on the Christian Roldana ratio that's been going sure. on on this Yeah, show. that's that's fine. He, I, The ceiling for the U.S. men's national team, he is not a large part of the player, like, playing in that pool. 2026 World Cup, 2024 Copa America, like, he, I, I do not believe his game scales to that level. But at this level, a CCL champion he has an ability to just understand the gaps and fill them. We saw it already for Seattle this weekend. He recognizes the game and he's able to make things happen, whether it's with his runs, whether it's winning a 50-50 in the air that flicks on to the opportunity, or it's playing through his feet and his ability to beat guys 1v1, which isn't high, high level, but it happens. And it happens normally when he reads the game, picks up the ball at pace, and is able to take someone on. So I do think he'll have a decent role in that. In this team, whether it's as a wide player or as a center mid, um, and you guys mentioned like his leadership, I think will be a part of why he's on this team. But I love Christian Roldan. I think he'll have a good Gold Cup. That doesn't mean anything for the national team future, but I think he will be one of the guys that you do see creating chances for this team. I think I'm mostly just excited because it's an opportunity for any player that wants it to really go out there and be like the man for this team, essentially, that if you have them playing with a with the Nations League squad, even if uh, I'll stick with Cade Cowell, uh, if Cade Cowell were to just like like run the show in a game, it's still going to be Pulisic way arena. Maybe Cade Cowell gets some minutes in the next game, whereas here, I think there are opportunities across the board for players to stake a claim and prove that they deserve yeah. a spot or maybe show why they don't deserve a spot. And so I think that will be the thing for me with this Gold Cup is seeing who can step up, who can be that difference maker. Uh, and if nobody can, then I think we have some other conversations to be had. Yeah, and, and to loop this all the way back around to like sort of a negative, which is maybe not where we wanted to end, but I'll do it anyway. Like, Taylor, everything you just described, I agree with. That's just another example, though, of, of how much of a shame it is that there's no manager, right? That it's BJ Callahan who's going to be yeah. working with these players and evaluating them. No, that's not a shot at BJ Callahan, but he's not going to be the guy. Was. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. You said it. <laughs> it honestly doesn't matter what <laughs> no, BJ Callahan wow. thinks, right? It, it really doesn't make any difference outside of his uh, uh, marvelous Big East tenure. Like it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if he rates Aiden Morris. It doesn't matter if he rates 
Georgie. Like it's going to be up to the next manager to decide. Okay, this player I like. I like him, you know, more than the last manager because of X Y Z reason. He's going to be involved because of A B C reason. Like that's what's missing. You're missing that with the Gold Cup and with the Nations League group. You're missing chances for the top guys to go in and get reps and, and play in the system. Like I think the tactical misses are more for the Nations League and the personnel misses are a bit more for the Gold Cup. They're just misses, though, no matter how you slice it. And hopefully, and it seems to me that this is the bet that U.S. soccer is making, hopefully the next manager is good enough and can do enough with this group and can improve them above an average rate that it makes this wasted time worthwhile. Again, not fully wasted. There are reasons to to watch these games and to be excited about them and things that we'll learn. But like U.S. soccer is banking on their ability to find someone who's going to do a good enough job to make everybody, if not forget about these windows, make everybody say, all right, that was a reasonable decision because this person is just that good at managing a soccer team. Final reason for optimism, if we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, is that at least the United States will still be playing in the Gold Cup. Uh, Goss, your introduction to this one with eligibility uh, investigations uh, was an allusion to this. Nicaragua was supposed to be in the USA's group. They've been kicked out, replaced by Trinidad and Tobago. Nicaragua played an an ineligible player for eight games, uh, allegedly. Uh, So they are out of the tournament, uh, Trinidad and Tobago coming in. And that means that the final team will be either Antigua, Barbuda, Guadalupe, Guiana, or Granada. Uh, That will be still to be played. But so we're going to get... Trinidad in, Nicaragua out, but the United States still there. So at the very least, uh, we, we get to watch even more soccer in what will be a down period in international soccer. So we can take that as a silver lining. That's what we're in, ending on. At least Man, we it really took you out. a while to get around to that. Yeah, positives, positives. Uh, David Goss, thank you for being Staten Island's own. We very much appreciate I'll it. I'll see you at 1 a.m. <laughs> Joe Lowry, thank you, my friend. Hey, guys, did you know that Staten Island is a borough in New York? It's one of five. Actually, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of these. There's five of them, not four. There's five, and it is, it's great. It's one of the five. <laughs> What's the sixth? Um, Jersey. Nice. <laughs> the, the entire state. Nice. Yep. Uh, New Jersey, we apologize, but we kind of don't. Uh, thank you so much for listening, listeners. We will talk to you all again tomorrow. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 